Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome everybody to another episode of The Humblest. It's your boy Dante here leading the way with my man V. How you doing V? I'm doing okay and I'm, do I'm doing really good. And before we get started, I want to dedicate this show to our team member Jody Lewis. Yeah. Uh, it's been a challenging week for her and this show is dedicated to her and we're sending her all the good energy and all the love in the world. So want to make cool. sure make sure I do that off the top because if I don't do it now, I won't do it because we have a jammed packed show That's today, right. my friend. Right. We got a big show today. So this is the cover-up episode, the much anticipated cover-up episode. One of the Ooh. best Ooh. Uh, the most engagement we one of the most engaged uh, topics that we've had when we throw out there so far. So thank you everybody out there who's been joining in on the conversations on social media. Uh, we've seen some great engagement. We'd love to see that. So uh, I'm really excited. Are you excited about this, V? I know you've yeah. been doing a lot of work, man. You've been doing a lot of work on this. Yeah, well, I've been really wanting to um, have our guest today on for many, many weeks. And um, I just thought, you know, it was the right timing, just the way our uh, schedules kind of lined up, uh, the topics that we were talking about, like you said, the cover-up episode. So it's yeah. a great thing that we have uh, Byron Pasco, who's a, a music uh, lawyer. That That's going to be exciting. And then Later on in the show, we're going to go through those best covers that everyone uh, introduced. And then, of course, we have our indie feature. So, right. Madison, yeah, it's going to be great. All right. Well, so we're going to be switching up a little bit this time. We're actually going to jump into the interview first before we're talking about our cover songs. we got our man Byron on, on standby here with us. Uh, v, you ready to throw him in here? Throw him into the fire? I think I think we're ready to bring By Byron on. I think this is uh, going to be an epic one. So, everyone who's out there. Get your questions ready um, because uh, Byron is a legit professional uh, music lawyer and yeah, he's, he's got lots of great content for you. So without further ado, let's bring on Byron. And there hey, he is. Hey, hey Byron. Byron. Nice to see you. Welcome yeah. to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us here on The Humblest on a Sunday afternoon, giving up some of your Sunday. Uh, how are things going up in Ottawa? Well, I, I had to be quick at Ikea so I could get here in time for... Uh, <laughs> you guys and i think the entire city of uh ottawa where i'm based was there today so yeah uh, i'm glad i made it well we appreciate you giving us uh, some time it's a beautiful day too i know you'd want to be out there enjoying it but if you can spare us some help yeah. because we have a lot of people out there that are tuning into this episode because they know that you have a lot of information that can help out uh we introduced you a little bit off the top there as a music lawyer uh but for, for a guy like me that's pretty vague can you kind of summarize sure. what is a music lawyer for sure. Um, and, and it may help to give maybe a bit of background, too. So my background is that I did a business degree at Laurier, and then I spent five years uh, running a television production company with some friends. And then I went to law school with the plan of being an entertainment lawyer, um, which I've been doing for the last uh, six or seven years. So okay. uh, I work at a law firm called Edwards Creative Law, and we do only entertainment. So we work with uh, producers of television shows and films. And on the music side, I work with uh, writers, performers, producers, managers, music companies, festivals, um, music entrepreneurs generally. So uh, a music lawyer, really, a lot of what we do is was, was what I would call transactional, meaning that we review music agreements and we prepare music agreements. So if people want to work together uh, in music, whether it's two co-writers or a manager and an artist or a a record label and an artist. I help people to review those agreements and I help people to write those agreements. So that's what a music lawyer uh, for the most part does. Uh, he or she also helps uh, their clients to understand the music business uh, ecosystem, 
to get a better understanding of royalties, uh, to deal with conflicts that arose, um, to get permission to do stuff, that sort of thing. So were you, uh, um, like, is this what you wanted to be when you went, went to school? Like, were you an avid musician guy, but you also loved law? Or, like, how did you uh, combine? For sure. That? Well, I was actually more on, like, the production side, like film and TV. And so, um, yeah, so I mentioned, like, my background was uh, producing television programming. So uh, for about five years, I worked with two very good friends to produce uh, comedy programming here in Canada. Uh, that was viewed like all over the world. It was it was big on MySpace, and it was like a, a early early YouTube, like basically the biggest kind of early YouTube prank program. Uh, now there's you know a lot more of that stuff, but we were we were there at the beginning. Um, and the next phase was to go to law school to become an entertainment lawyer, and really the focus was more so on the production side, like the filmed stuff, like television shows, films, that sort of thing. Um, I'm not a musician. Uh, many music lawyers are musicians. I'm I'm not. Uh, my brother's a musician, but like I'm I'm not. Um, and so, really, it wasn't specifically to become a music lawyer, but really an entertainment lawyer more broadly. Um, that's why I went to law school. And uh, and V, you got a that's that's where you guys met, right? Is that right? Uh, not law school. I, I didn't. I didn't get that far. <laughs> no, definitely not. I, we went to Laurier together, and I don't know how I found out that you were into music. I, I, I must have seen something like. Did you recall? I, I can't really. Well, I, I do a lot. I, I I try to be active on social. Um, you know, posting blogs that I write. Uh, I, I try to do things like this just to kind of have conversations with people about uh, music law issues and topics and so uh i'm i'm sure through something that you know i, I posted years ago we we reconnected and have been in touch and uh you know we we're we we're chatting about this you know this video series and about you know the the facebook group generally and uh you know that brings us here yeah ab absolutely and i and i'm again so thankful that you're doing it because i think a lot well, of people in the humble and hungry community um <clears throat> are a lot a lot of them are emerging artists and I think that's what we really wanted to hone in today was what can emerging artists do? What what do they need to know about um, working with a music lawyer? And when would be the right time? Why is it beneficial? If you yeah. could like kind of touch yeah. on those kind of things. Well, I think actually before I say anything more, I should probably say that just, just for clarity, this is mm. not, anything mm. I say is not legal advice, but <laughs> yeah. not uh, legal information. So uh, the other go-to line for insurance purposes is that <laughs> if you have any uh, questions about legal advice, please consult with a lawyer. Um, so yes, I, and Byron's, Byron's not charging us, so get your questions yeah. in while you can. Yeah, people. this is true. Yeah, <laughs> legal information. Legal information. Get them in, so, yo. <laughs> um, but you know, your question was like how to deal with you know a music lawyer, but really it comes down to how to deal with the people you're working with. And, you know, that isn't the lawyer. That's your co-writer. It's your producer. It's your manager. It's uh, someone who's trying to find, you know, placements for you. It's the person that you're using a sample of. It's a person whose song you're covering. Uh, you know, the lawyer's role is to help you to navigate that process and to get things simple in place with people so that it reduces the likelihood of conflict later on. Um, you know, a common thing is that people work with their friends. 
their friend isn't an, let's say their friend isn't really a manager, but wants to help out their buddy. And like, this is someone you trust. And so like they, you know, are learning alongside of you to become your manager or it's someone who, you know, went to a program um, like Fanshawe or, uh, you know, at Algonquin, like a music industry arts program where they learn some stuff like, you know, your selfie um, or someone who did the program at like um, um, uh, the audio recording Academy um, or one of the studios, places where you learn how to be a producer. Um, you know, th there's a lot of uh, opportunities to learn how to play different roles. But at the beginning of the, your career, you're realistically working with your friends. And, you know, hopefully nothing ever comes up that would cause a conflict with you and your friend. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes money gets in the way and causes disputes and causes things to you know, kind of go off the rails. And if you have very simple, uh, clear, written arrangements with people from the outset, it reduces the likelihood that you'll be in a conflict with someone later on. Well, so that's, that's good that you were to say here, because actually, V, I, I want to say this off camera. Let's let's work on a negotiation right now between you and me <laughs> having to do with this show. Because, uh, yeah, we're just friends. This is your exact You don't want to ruin the friendship. I was going to say that at our hey, Monday man, don't meeting. Don't cut me off, have, man. Don't cut me off. Put that we in have the, a Monday put meeting. language there. Write that in. Well, <laughs> so, so but, but this brings up an example. Like, let's not talk specifically about, like, you know, humble or hungry or the humblest. But, like, if, pe if two people or three or four are working together on something with the aim to make a profit, mm -hmm. they're considered partners in a partnership at least here in the province of Ontario. And the Partnership Act, which, you know, I'm sure neither, neither of you have read, you know, because who, who reads that? Never heard of it. That's fine. But there are, there are laws that relate to partners in a partnership. And so if, if the two of you and your other people on your team that, you know, put the, everything together, um, you know, it would probably be a good, probably be a good idea for you guys to talk about, you people to talk about, like, you know, well, do we all own this together? What happens if one of us wants to leave? You know, if we're making money from this, how are we splitting it up? How are we sharing costs? So it's like, you know, the, the more likely example is you have a band. And so you have a band, um, um, you know, let's say there's like a, you know, a rock band and there's four people. And, you know, um, it's a, if, if you don't really, well, if you're, if you're, if you're making music together, and you're trying to you're trying to record, you're trying to tour. Well, not you can't tour right now, but you know you're trying to do things together. Legally, you're a partnership of the four of you, but it might be that you know it makes more sense for one person to own the project, own the band, and everybody else is you know hired by that person. Um, but if you don't actually agree to you know that one person owning everything, arguably, you know the bass player or the drummer or whoever, if they're not the lead person or whoever else um, says, listen, I'm a member of this partnership. I have just as equal uh, ownership as everybody else. I have just as equal say as everybody else because we're partners under the law. You know, that's not, you know, that is an argument that somebody can make. So in that situation, if you're the leader of the group and you write everything, you're the one who's spending all the money on expenses and you're the one who's actually taking it seriously um, you know, compared to other people, you want to make sure that you own the project. If that's, if that makes sense for your project. 
Right. So, um, you know, back to your question, V, it's like really, you know, what is the role of a lawyer? Really, it's like, well, what is, you know, what are the interactions between the people who are involved? Your producer, your manager, your co-writer, um, you know, and, and I think we'll kind of speak to, you know, each of those things individually very briefly. But at the end of the day, you want to plan for success as an individual. Um, and, you know, if you're planning for success, then you are assuming that the song you write with somebody is going to do well. You assume that the recording you make with someone else who someone else produced is going to do well. So you want to make sure that you have uh, clarity, um, something agreed, ideally in writing between the people you're working with to ensure that, you know, if the song makes, you know, $100,000, that you're not going to all be fighting over it. If the song makes five cents or $5 million or somewhere in between, you all know exactly, you know, how money's being split up. You know how decisions are being made. So you, you know, find that a lot of people coming to your help have uh, difficulty understanding that premise or like, uh, or like, have you seen relationships cause friction? Has this caused friction between bands? You know what I mean? Like navigating that friendship and business. It's, it's a very hard line to walk. And, um, you know, with, well, with with management agreements, I find that I spend I, I spend more time on like management divorces than manage right. managing marriages. Like, oftentimes people should have spent a bit of time, you know, proactively figuring out their arrangement, and it ends up turning into a situation whereby people need to get lawyers involved um, because they didn't figure things out proactively. So, so you know, the related comment, Dante, is that it's. What I say to people and what I'd say to you guys and your your viewers is um, there can be awkward conversations to be had with people. Um, you can blame, you know, the lawyer you saw, you know, the humblest of like, oh, maybe we should talk about this. This lawyer guy said we should maybe talk about a professional relationship. Um, but it's a lot better to have an awkward conversation today than losing a friend and being, you know, dealing with lawyers in future. Right. And if you're planning for success, then you're you're assuming that the music you're making with people is going to actually be yeah. an audience and, and be you know be your career. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that, that's my thought on that. I feel What's like it? I feel like musicians are just um, yeah. I don't I don't know if it's like a laziness thing or if it's just like you know no. like a, oh this is art and like we're just we're just you know what I mean like we don't think about. I think a lot of musicians don't think about the business side of things a lot, right. a lot of the time. And I, I, I don't know why. I, I don't think it's laziness. I think it's just people don't, you don't know what you don't know. And you kind of, you know, people make assumptions that things will, you know, be fine. Um, you know, but you know what, you know what assumptions do. And um, there's that, but uh, it, it just, it, it avoids conflict. Um, if you know, back to that, you know, four person rock band situation, if they decide proactively that every decision needs to be agreed to by at least three of the four people, then that makes it that makes life a lot easier um, because right. everyone agreed proactively to something. And if you're the odd person out on deciding, you know, about something, you know, are you going to, uh, I don't know, like it kind of depends on the situation. But like if, if, if you're the one out of four and you don't agree with something, well, you, you agreed earlier that you would accept, you know, the will of the majority. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, well, mm-hmm. I can't really fight too much about this, but I should maybe I should try to convince other people that they should agree with me, you know, and it just it becomes less aggressive. Right. Right. Agreed to 
uh, a decision making protocol. And so, um, you know, if you're in a band with people, um, one of the ways to deal with this stuff is to have a band agreement between the, the two, three, four, five or ten of you. Um, I, I wrote a blog uh, called The Band Agreement or something like that. You can just Google like my name and the, and the band agreement. And it has like 50 questions that you can think of to talk to with people in your band. And it really comes down to control and money, like how you're dealing with expenses, right. how you're dealing with revenues, how you're dealing with decisions and decision making processes. Wow, it's, it's a lot to unpack there, and uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, but that that's a necessary conversation, and even for something as simple as V and I, like doing this show, like we should probably even think about something like that too, if we're ever trying to grow this thing any any anywhere really. So that is that is sound advice to really sort of take a look at that business side, because uh, it is fun to be creative and fun to be artistic, but it sucks when you have to pay for your art or lose it completely or lose the opportunity to create. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, my, my related comment there, Dante, is that like uh, if you do things um, after the fact, you're usually giving up more than you would have given up if you did it proactively. And so kind of <clears throat> an example is that um, if you're working with a producer who's let's say let, let's say you're in hip hop and you have a producer who's creating a beat for you um, and they just kind of give you the beat and you use it and the song becomes successful. Right however you define success and success is defined differently by everybody. But let's say the song is, you know, successful. Yeah. If you go back to that producer and say, Hey, um, can I get the rights to use this? Um, you're likely going to end up giving that producer a lot more than you would have given him or her. If you asked when you got the beat, when you got the beat, you may have said, Hey, can I, um, you know, pay you something and fully own this and not have any you know, obligations to you or, can we set it up so that I control things, but I'm giving you 10% of what I earn? Right. Like something like that. But if you're going back to them, you know, months, years later, and the song is made like $10,000 or 100000 or somewhere or anything, um, you're likely going to end up giving that person more than what you would have had to give them originally to get their rights. Right. The challenge is that, you know, if you, if you record, let's say, 10 songs or a hundred songs, you have no idea really usually which one is going to be like the one that really matters. Right. And so, you know, back to the planning for success thing, it's important to try to plan for success with everything you do. Uh, sometimes it's just not realistic. And sometimes you have to kind of focus on what you think is most likely to be, you know, um, economically appropriate, but, um, you know, just kind of the general mentality of, okay, I'm working on this thing with this person. If this becomes successful, what do I wish I would have done, you know, now? And um, a lot of it just comes down to, you know, how you're sharing money that might be generated, how you're deciding on, you know, who, who makes decisions about this, this work. Wow. Wow, man, that's great, great content and great stuff for our, our community to know. Um, we could probably talk to you for like uh, an hour and a half, um, but we're, we're, we're really tight on time this time. Yeah. So we'll, obviously we're going to keep in touch, but I do know you have, again, bringing it back to the emerging artists, you have like a top 10 list um, that all emerging artists should consider. Um, yeah. Did you, did you want to go through that? And I can Let's, put them on. Yeah, the yeah. I'm just going to give like a sentence or two about each of okay. these top 10 things. 
Um, and, you know, for each one of them, um, there's other kind of blogs and, and videos I've done about some of these things, but, um, you know, let's just have some clear takeaways. So these are 10, at least let's say 10 of the top considerations for emerging musicians to keep in mind. So protecting what you created, number one, um, the key related thing here is, is what triggers copyright. And what triggers copyright is having uh, something that you are fixing in a tangible form. An idea is not protected, but if you record a song or write a song, it's protected. You don't have to get it registered with anything. You just, you, you want to take any ideas you have and make them tangible, record them, write them. That triggers protection. Awesome. At that. Number two, the composition. So who are your co-writers? What are you each entitled to? A common tool here is a split sheet. And a split sheet lists the people who were involved in a composition, the lyrics, the music, both, and what their percentages are. And if anyone wants me to send them a draft, uh, like a sample split sheet, uh, you can just send me an email and I'll send you uh, a split sheet that you can use. My email has been up before and it'll be up again. Um, or you can just email or Google me or whatever. But um happy to send you that. So composition is the lyrics and the music. And what you want to do is define who has, who is entitled to what percentage out of a hundred percent of that composition. Beautiful. Number three, the recording, which is sometimes also referred to as the master. So, you know, who owns the actual recording of your song? And Generally speaking, the, if, if you're an artist and you go into a studio and a producer presses record, they own that recording until they give it to you. So in every producer agreement, which we'll get to in a second, maybe you know, let's segue there right now. Number four is the producer. So the, oh, I have co-writers, maybe. Okay, co-writers. I'll stick on the recording, number three. So for the recording, you want to make sure that you own the recording um and you want to get the right to own the recording from the person or people or company who made the recording so oftentimes it's a producer who grants his her or its rights to you the artist to own the recording um how inclined are, how, how inclined are, are producers to give up that you know like why well, would we as a producer ever want to give that up because any one of these songs can be a banger Sure. So uh, great point, Dante, and it kind of leads to a couple of things. Number one is that if I'm a producer and V is the artist, um, I might give V ownership of the recording, but there are still entitlements that I'm that I'm getting. For example, maybe I'm getting 10% of the royalties that are generated from that master or five or 15 or, you know, whatever. So just because I give ownership to V doesn't mean that I'm getting nothing else. It just means that he controls it, but I'm still legally kind of contractually entitled to a percentage of royalties that that master generates. So yeah. ownership, if I give up ownership, it does not mean I give up royalties. It, it means I'm giving up control uh, and, and ownership in that recording, but I can still and should still, depending on the circumstances, Everything is it depends, but I, I should still be getting, um, I, I can still get royalties, even if I give up ownership. And the recoupables. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's a variety, you know, it's, it's a whole other discussion about yeah. you know, different formulas for royalties. But um, if V is paying me to be his, to produce a song and he pays me, let's say, 
um, you know, a thousand dollars to produce a couple songs for him or whatever it is. Um, I ideally, if he's uh, giving me a royalty, then before he pays me a royalty, he gets to earn back the money he already paid me or part of it. But uh, yeah, that's that's a part of part of the formula. There's a variety of formulas of how an artist might pay a producer. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off there. I know V's got a beautiful smile going on, but I think he's actually frozen. <laughs> yes, there. he is. So that's so, a great, great time to freeze him, though. We should use yeah, that as a great. cover art for uh, for some of our stuff. So hopefully, it joins us again. Right it, it could have been worse. It could have been. A lot. It's very nice. Uh, okay, number four though is, is co-writers. So, so sorry to my sorry to that point though. V's in yeah. control of those comments, so it might not be able to cycle until we get okay. it. Well, that's okay. But sure. but so number four in our top ten list is is co-writers. And I kind of spoke to this already in composition, but really, you know, a, a co-writer might be someone that you write with, or it might be someone who creates music and you're creating the lyrics, um, or it might be someone who creates a bit of a, like a bit of a beat or a bit of a bridge or a bit of a hook or a word. Well, what um, a word? Like, like how much does it constitute a co-writer co well, to get that title, to get that acknowledgement? Sure. So the bottom line is that you want to have a very simple or not so simple agreement with everybody who potentially was involved. And, you know, if, if you write a song Dante and I'm like, uh, here's 300 bucks for whatever, but right. I, and I want you to list me as a, as a co-writer, you know, now I'm, now I'm a co-writer, even though I didn't actually write anything. So, right. But if or, you get nominated for that Grammy, you're going up on stage as a co-writer. Right. Or I could ghostwrite it for you and I could say, I'm going to write all the words. You're going to pay me something. And right. now it's going to say written by Dante. So just because I actually wrote or didn't write, that doesn't mean that that's what the actual writing credit and writing percentages will be. It, it, it really, um, it comes down essentially to, you know, what you agreed to. Uh, however, if there is no arrangement, there is no deal or agreement between us. And I actually did write words. My argument would be that I am a co-writer because I wrote words or my right. argument is I am a co-writer because, you know, we decided we would go into studio and write a song together. And I brought my, you know, piano and you brought your, uh, a story about, you know, something that happened in your life that we want to write a song about. And I'm going to write this piano part and you're going to bring some words and we're going to talk about it and create a song. So we had the intention of creating a song together. And, you know, if if you say, okay, thanks for your help, Byron, have a nice life. Hey. hey man, he's on, he's on. Okay? He's on. Hey. There we go. Okay. How, long you guys, how long were you guys there? Well, Dante well, and I were talking for about a minute, and then I was on my own, but I saw that it said my mic was muted, so I just said, I'll wait for you guys to come back. Thank you, thank so, you. I appreciate that. Uh, I, good, I don't know what happened, I just got booted. So, where were we? <laughs> so, we're on number four with co writers, and Dante and I were talking about kind of, you know, what essentially one way to put Dante's question is like, what is the minimum contribution I need to make in order to be considered a co-writer? And the answer really is 
it could be nothing or it could be a lot. Um, preferably what you do is you say to everybody who is involved in, in the lyrics and the music and you say, okay, everybody, and everybody might be two people or might be 10. You say, okay, we are all involved in this. What's our split going to be? Let's put together a split sheet and we'll confirm what everyone's entitlements are. I worked on a song once that had like 50 writers, which was like ridiculous, but most times it's like two people, three, four. If there's a featured artist, then that person likely wrote their lyric. If there's a producer in hip hop who wrote, they did the beat, like they, they are a writer. Um, if you have a producer who's contributing um, uh, creative ideas, that person is usually considered as a percentage of the, to get a percentage of the composition as a co-writer. So, I, I mean, in, in Nashville, it's like the Nashville splits, like whoever's in the room gets an equal share. In, in other, in other uh, situations, you just kind of agree to what the split will be. And, and the bottom line is that no matter who is involved, no matter what their involvement, clearly clarify in writing very briefly on this split sheet that I'll send you if you want, what everybody's percentage is. It's the simplest way to deal with it. So you avoid the conflict of later on someone saying, well, I see uh, you only put that I get 1% of the song on, on SoCan, but I wrote half the lyrics. Like, you don't want to have to deal with that later on. And that happens. So, again, okay. it, it, it's, it, it's very easy and, and free to clarify the song split with people at the time. And, and save energy later. So, yeah. producers. So, I mean, I, as, you, as you can tell, a lot of these comments really kind of overlap together. But a producer uh, could provide different types of things in different scenarios. Um, I keep talking about hip hop, but like a hip hop producer very often creates the beat, whereas in other genres, less so. Um, it just right. kind of depends on the circumstances. So um, what you want as an artist is to ensure um, you know, where relevant, that you're clarifying what you're paying to the producer, what they're actually doing, um, what the um, what, what the fees are, what the fees are for the producer when they're being paid those fees, um, what percentage of the composition the producer is getting, if any. Um, you want to clarify that the artist owns the master. Um, those are a few considerations. I wrote a blog called, you know, the producer agreement or something creative like that. Uh, if you just search my name and producer agreement, then there's, there's more, but um, you know, I think that a lot of people have a producer less so than someone who has a manager or a label or a publisher. And so the producer artist relationship is really important to understand because for many artists, they will have a producer at some point, but they, you know, probably won't have a record label or a publisher or some other big partners. So, you know, you want to make sure that um, that you are clear with your producer about what his or her rights and obligations are and what your rights and obligations are. And, um, v, did you, sorry, v, v, did you ever have problems with your producers that you've worked with? Have you ever had to have these conversations? No, I mean, like, uh, we, we have, you know what? Like, it's, it's been a lot of, like, assumption, like, uh, just towards, uh, like, I guess late last year, I started kind of working on like agreements a little bit and um, I'm getting a little bit more um, versed in, in it now, you know? Right. Here's the assumption that, that is made and I'll, you know, I'll be brief if I can, but like yes, please, an, yeah. artist, an artist assumes that she's paying the producer a fee and that's all she'll ever have to pay the producer. And the producer's assumption is that 
if this song does well, I'm going to make money off of this song. Right. So think about it. The, the artist thinks that, you know, first off, she thinks she owns the, 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 the master, even though it has, may not have been transferred in writing. Um, and the producer feels that, you know, what he's getting from the outset is just, is just like, you know, the tip of the iceberg if the song does well. So what you want to clarify with your producer and everybody else, but your producer in this situation is you want to clarify what the producer is getting now, who owns the recording, what the producer would get later if the song makes money, mm -hmm. right. what the credit is, what the okay. song is. Right. Also, if you're giving your producer, let's say, um, three thousand dollars to produce an album, and it's a ten-song album, and you got three thousand dollars from you know your uncle Jimmy to do this album, and you know, don't give three thousand up front to the producer. You know, you probably want to pay them part up front, part later. But if you're paying them, let's say fifteen hundred dollars today, fifteen hundred dollars later. Is that $1,500 later on being paid once you get the tracks from the producer or once you like the tracks you got from the producer? Because, you know, if you want some changes being made, then, well, you know, does that cost more? Um, you know, you, you just want to clarify, like, you know, what the actual things that the producer needs to do in order to get paid. And, you know, I, I work with producers and artists and I'm not, you know, I'm not like an artist only or producer only lawyer. Um, but for both of those types of, for both of those parties in this ecosystem, I say, you know, it makes sense usually, I mean, there's always caveats here, but usually it makes sense that the artist, you know, owns the masters. So long as the artist pays you appropriately now and later and appropriately credits you, um, and you're appropriately getting a percentage of, you know, relevant royalties. And usually, you know, the more money paid up front, the less back-end royalties the producer will get later on. Like I'm doing a music agreement right now for an artist client of mine. They pay their producer um, you know, very well, and the producer is not getting anything later on. Like if the if the song makes a million dollars in like based on the recordings, he's getting nothing, and that's fine because you know that's what they that's what they're agreeing to now. Mm -hmm. um, it really depends on the circumstances. So no, really, really good. Let's move on to managers. Yeah, can we can we quickly go through the the rest? I know like this is amazing yeah. content, but yeah. yeah let's, Let's do like one line for the rest of them. So for managers, you know, if you have a manager, you want to clarify what he or she is uh, entitled to from from the revenue you're making and for how long that relationship is. And you want to clearly define, you know, what they're what they're doing for you. So you potentially have a way out if they're not doing what they plan to do. But a management agreement is an agreement that outlines the rights and responsibility of an artist and a manager. And, you know, surprise, surprise, I have a blog about it. So if you search my name in Manny, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, nice. next one is samples. So samples, this is where people get killed, not literally um, a lot of the times. And the bottom line is that if you sample something, you need permission to use the recording you're being, you're sampling and yeah. the composition that you're sampling. And it's a lot easier and a lot less expensive usually to get permission proactively instead of saying, oh, I had this song and made $10,000. I never cleared the sample. You know, now what do I do? You're probably going to pay more for that sample once you've made 10000 or, you know, uh, whatever higher number as compared to if you got permission originally. Right. Many people sample stuff without permission, assuming nothing will ever happen. Many times something never happens, and sometimes you get screwed. Right. Uh, number eight, 
<laughs> on that note, number eight, uh, music distribution. So, um, you know, you want to have an idea of, uh, you want to have a plan of how you're actually getting your music up on different platforms. There's a variety of um, uh, uh, partners like DistroKid, CD Baby, uh, etc., cetera, um, uh, who are there to help to put music up online. You want to compare them based on what their different programs are, what their costs are. Um, and where possible, some of these companies allow you to have the revenue be split between your like team members. So DistroKid, for one, allows you to actually split the revenue um, that they're paying you between, let's say, you and your you know co-writer or whatever else. Well, not maybe not co-writer, but let's say uh, um, like whoever you want, like you, your producer. So if $100 is made by DistroKid, you could set it up so that DistroKid pays 20 to your producer and 80 to you. But music distribution, you want to make sure that you own the master before you distribute your own music. Sorry, a quick point on music distribution. Has the game changed with the increase in the advent of social media and, and different like platforms to be able to yeah. produce? Well, the bottom line is that the barrier to entry is gone. Like You don't need a music label to be up on different music platforms. So, you know, before, um, before like the distro kids of the world and CD babies and um, the other ones, for some, the names are I'm having a, a blank on some of the other names, but um, um, either way, uh, earlier on, it was hard to get music out to people. Now music, people mostly consume music digitally. Right. Um, I mean, you can have physical distribution through these partners, but you don't need, uh, you don't have to have a major label or a, not a major label helping you to distribute your music. The challenge right. is that uh, if you're not with a, a label, you're on your own to market and promote your music. Mm. So, you know, the, the key, one of the key values, the a big one that a label would provide uh, if they want to um, is to market your music and also to pay for the costs of producing the music. If you oh. don't have a label or you're using one of these platforms instead, uh, you know, you're, you're responsible for, uh, you know, paying for the marketing. Yeah, and, you're, and, you know, and, and it's really kind of whatever, you, the more you put in, the more you get out. That's right. That makes sense. Uh, music and media. Um, essentially, I'm referring to music in, let's say, film and TV and video games and advertisements. And if you want to be able to give permission to, to have your music be in something, for example, a video game, you need to clearly own the recording and you need to control the composition. So if me and V wrote a song together and I'm the artist, well, I'll say V's the artist, not me. So V's the artist and V and I co-wrote the song together, uh, either, you know, and Dante produced it. If V wants to be able to give permission to, you know, uh, um, a video game company to put the song in the, in the game, V needs to ensure that Dante uh, assigned oh, his rights in the master to V and V either needs um, me to say, me to confirm to V that V controls my share of the composition or V and I both agree to have the song be placed in the video game. So uh, bottom line, similar to a sample, the rights in the recording and the rights in the composition are needed to have uh, music in stuff. Number 10, the right partners. The most important thing of all, by far and collectively, uh, you want to make sure you're working with the right people. Um, and so whenever like, an example is that if someone sends me a management agreement, 
um, to look at, I would say, well, you know, who is this person? Have you met with them? Do your due diligence. You're essentially marrying your manager, you know, musically, professionally. So you want to make sure, you know, you maybe date a bit first before you get married um, and uh, make sure they're the right person for you. Make sure there's someone who will respect you. Make sure there's someone who is, you know, seen as a, um, as a good person uh, in the community generally and has contacts and leads and can help you to you know, take you to the next level. If you're working, you know, if you have a great agreement with a bad partner, that's not going to make the bad partner, you know, be a better partner. So um, you want to start off with working with the right people and, and companies uh, before you get into an agreement with them. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Th thank you for like that, that content. You dropped a, a whole lot of knowledge in a short amount of time. And I, I think a lot of people are going to be really thankful um, when they, when they see the replay. Um, you know, one of the things with having a live show is sometimes when you do have technical difficulties, it, it happens live. So um, apologies for that, for, you know, yeah, uh, leaving fine. you on your own for a minute. But, um, <laughs> you know, we're learning as we go along here. We linked yeah. a few of, of your, um, you know, we got Byron's email there. So please, if you want to reach out to him, byron.pasco at edwardslaw.ca. And then, of course, the Edwards Creative Law Facebook group. Um, which you can reach him. I'm sure they'll, they'll connect you with him and, and you'll get tons of information that way as well. Anything else you want to say yeah. before we uh, sure. quickly boot, we go to the next one? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's already 440. It's, uh, anyway, um, my, my last point is that the way to kind of sum up a lot of this stuff is my favorite nine words, which are you asking someone else, what are your expectations of me and my music? Artist, okay. producer, co-writer, I, again, wrote a blog called Nine Words about this stuff, but like, it, it's a good way to start an awkward, con potentially awkward conversation to make it less awkward. Right. But if you work with someone else on, on a project or music, well, in this case, music, musical project, ask them what their expectations are. Get on the same page about your expectations of each other, you know, before you even think about having a, an agreement that, you know, you prepare or that you ask me to review or to prepare for you. Um, you know, if you have, in completely different expectations of, of what each other is doing, you know, it, there's no point in, you know, moving forward. So, you know, with, with this pro, you know, with, with your, with your program guys, it's like, if, if V thought that Dante was going to bring on this million dollar sponsor and uh, Dante thought V was going to do that, uh, you know, and either one of you want to go find, you know, a, a million dollar sponsor, then it's like, you know, you're not going to proceed with anything. So you want to make sure that the people you're working with are on the same page with you about, uh, you know, what your arrangement is going to be. Awesome. Awesome. Sweet. That's good stuff there. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving us all this information. Like I said, the information is there. We'll listen to the replay again. And for all you musicians out there, we advocate you guys strongly to listen to this again, because there are some tips here that you need to be aware of to protect yourself and your music. And we do need to move on. Yep. Yes. So care, guys. We'll, we'll see you soon, Byron. Thanks again for doing this. All right. Thank, thank you, Byron. Byron. All the best. Take care, guys. Bye. Yeah. Bye. All right, V. That was that was a lot of information, and that was, I mean, for me, I know I'm going to rewatch the the episode for sure. Absolutely. So uh, let's keep it moving here. We do have yes. one, a couple times just talking about some of the cover songs that we uh, were pushing this week because that was the whole theme of the episode. We might have to even revisit this in a later episode too because there's so much content and we still want to get to our. Oh my feedback. gosh. So uh, give us, give me, give me some quickly rundown the group. What was some of the contributions? We had? we had tons. We had tons. So we had Blackwood uh, with Walk Off the Earth. Somebody I used oh, yeah. to know. Remember that one? We might get into it in a bit. 
Uh, Bones in April hurt Johnny Cash again. Uh, Federico Heartbeats by Jose Gonzalez. Uh, Eric Nirvana, Man Who Sold the World, which is a Bowie. Uh, James, our boy, old old school, James Maxwell with the, this woman's work. Zaman. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Know. Yeah, it's a Kate Bush cover who I uh, really love. Who's like an 80s pop uh, artist. Really, really good. And then you got uh, Zamet with Cake, I Will Survive. Remember? Of course, man. Yeah. yeah. The Cake old version school. of I Will Survive is amazing. But go on. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, I know you love the horns. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mario, Jimi Hendrix, all along the Watchtower, the original yeah. Bob Dylan, right? Um, Nisar and Hallelujah, which is uh, oh, yeah. the yeah. most covered song ever, probably. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, it's up there. Jeff Buckley, right? That, that one's haunting and crazy. I love that one. And then we've got Mervin with Chris Cornell, who uh, did Nothing Compares to You, which I thought was originally, and I, I didn't know how I didn't know this, but it was. It's originally a Prince cover, and there's a Sinead O'Connor uh, cover right. of that as well, which I thought was the original, but it wasn't. So I thought the Sinead O'Connor would do. Yeah, crazy. And then we got a Beat Thee with I Will Always Love You, uh, which is a yeah Dolly Parton. Yeah. And then Paul Caruso, shout out to Paul. He, did, uh, he came from left field with Bare Naked Ladies doing um, Fight the Power. I don't know if you've ever heard that one. It's pretty... Pretty what? interesting. Yeah. No, I've never heard of that. No. Yeah, it's crazy. And then you got uh, Yael Nem. I'm not probably pronouncing that right, but she did uh, Toxic by Britney Spears, which is oh, really, cool. really well. Yeah, really cool. Uh, just really haunting and chill as well. Right. And then we've got Grace with uh, Problem, which is uh, Ariana Grande, but uh, Noah Guthrie did a version. And then Alisa did Jerusalem. I don't know too much about that, but there was a dance. No. Yeah, there was a dance. Right? Yeah, I Googled that. It's crazy. It's a craze, yeah. And then our guest, of course, uh, Byron, me first in the gimmies, and they cover, like, everything, apparently. like They did, like, Phantom of the Opera, but it's like, yeah, like, they do, like, all sorts of songs. And, uh, yeah, th those were the... The, the, the contributions the, from the group. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's just jump into some of our favorites. So the three ones that we want to focus in on were the Fuji's, Johnny Cash, and Walk Off the Earth. Actually, there was a fourth one that I wanted to get in there, but I, but that's okay. Uh, but with the Fuji's... Say it, say it. yeah, fair. Well, feel free to see. The one that I wanted to push was uh, Take On Me by Real Big Fish. Uh, which is, <laughs> yeah. You know, I love the horns in it, guys. <laughs> We should put uh, like horns in your name, like Dante. We should have a like, horns episode, man, all about them horns. Oh yes, there you go. Like all that's right, cool. when we when we get hurting for for th themes, man. That's what that's where we'll go with it. We'll go with all about the. So you'll know now when we have the all about the horns episode. You'll know that's the week that we didn't have any ideas. Uh, but anyways, let me talk about Fuji's a little bit. Uh, that Roberta Flack had the original one. I know there was some dispute about who actually wrote the original one, but that's the one that I kind of gravitated towards. And the Fuji's cover of it, the Fuji's cover of it, it was a banger, man. I think that that really propelled Lauren Hill into being a superstar on her own, and and it it overshadowed a lot of the other tracks that came off that album. Like Ready or Not was another song that came out, and I really liked that one. But Killing Me Softly was was a big, big song. So uh, that was that was a big one for me. Do, do you have any points about Killing Me Softly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny, like uh, if you didn't like we talked, we were talking with Byron about samples. But that yeah. song actually samples uh, Tribe Called Quest, which actually samples another song, um, Memory Band and you got it down here, Rotary Connection is the name of the track. So it's like and an inspection of sampling. It's a sample of sampling. Yeah, and it's just like, 
You know the one I'm talking about, right? Da, 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 like the yeah, da, 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 da. yeah there yeah. you go. And it's like, uh, yeah, so that was a, a really cool thing. Both both the um, the Fuji's version, as well as the version that you mentioned, they both won Grammys, uh, which was really cool. And yeah, like I think they, they originally wanted to change the, the concept and the lyrics a bit to being about like an anti-drug song, but the the writers weren't feeling it. So goes goes back to like that whole ownership, you know, concept again and like they weren't feeling it. But oh, yeah, wow. let, let's let's keep it moving because uh yeah. we're short on time today. So Johnny right. Cash. Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash is Hurt. Hurt, which was a cover of the Nine Inch Nail song by Hurt. Uh great cover. The thing I like about it the most was the the, the the Nine Inch Nails version was very like haunting. It was very desolate and almost feel like a tortured song. Uh, and if you watch the video, it really coincides with that. The video is like a time lapse of death, and it's really kind of you kind of feel it. But the Johnny Cash version seems more of like a, like a completionist type of song, like a song for your end of your life, and and really kind of like looking back on everything. It doesn't feel as like haunting or as tortured to me. It's more of a like a summary, a melancholy, I guess. Um, yeah, I love his voice though in the cover. Like Johnny Cash is just like an old man with a quivering voice, you know, kind of tying up his life and all his loose ends. And of course, if you watch the video, there's a lot of footage from when he was younger. So you, you, it kind of complements it quite a bit there. What are your thoughts on the track? Yeah, well said. Um, <clears throat> I feel like, uh, again, we were talking about Rick Rubin um, in previous episodes. He was the one who actually convinced uh, Johnny Cash to do, to do, to do this. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He was like, and like Johnny Cash was kind of like, I don't know, you know, wasn't feeling it. He had like right. um, a lot of health issues at that point, right? He had um, something like, I think it was like neural. He had um, old age, man. The guy was a million No, he had, he had autoimmune neuro, neuropathy or thing, I think it's called. And like he had like, that was brought on by diabetes. He was, his body was failing. Right. Um, and like, I think it was just the idea to, to have him be vulnerable, show, show the vulnerability and like being at the end Absolutely. of your career, the end of your life. Um, Trent Reznor, you know, the original writer said that when he saw, like when he heard the video, the song, he was like, okay, like he was, he was feeling it. But when he saw the video, he's like, he felt like he lost his girlfriend. Like, it's like he, like having his girlfriend sleep with someone else in front of you. That's what, that's what he felt like. That like with with the track. Yeah. So it was that. That hits different, man. That hits different. It's know? like he's just like letting it happen. You know what? What are you gonna do? So, but like, uh, for for all the Rick and Morty, we we talk about Rick Rubin, but you you might know this, Dante, the nice Rick and Morty work. fans. Um, nice thank you, Rick and. It was on a Rick Morty episode. When do you remember when uh, Rick like let his like intergalactic like he left his family to the That's intergalactic right. union or something? He gave himself up to the council. Of, it was it the council of Ricks. I don't know, but he gave himself up to someone and he got locked up into jail. And <laughs> uh, yeah, that song was playing. Yeah, it was intense. It was it was I, I I got put onto the show by you actually, and it was like really intense for me that that episode. So that episode, yo, that song can really make anything feel pretty intense. Epic, you know, fair. Intense. Fair. So there you go. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Should, should we keep it moving? Let's do it. Walk off the earth. Burlington's own. Burlington's own. Got to give some love to the Canadian contact. Walk off the earth. Really cool, uh, unique band. Uh, they all play the same instrument, man. What's up with that? 
Um, yeah, like, I don't know, even know how you get like the concept to be like, hey, there's five of us and let's go, let's play it all together. Let's all play a giant guitar together. Let's yeah, like them. you got one person tapping, if one person like, you know what I mean? Just plucking one string there or whatever. <laughs> yeah. no, absolutely. Really awesome. But yeah, if you've seen any of their other videos, like they do some, they did like a Beatles, uh, 20 Beatles tracks in like four minutes. Um, mm. They've got like this like weirdo, like guitar synthesizer where they're like hitting like different elements and yeah it's, and it's, I think it's a that's visual effect though you know spectacle when you're watching them perform is almost as good as hearing their music just seeing the intricacies of all of them using the same instrument at the same time and kind of like the timing of it all and they're all awesome singers yeah amazing i think there's like three members now and after that uh viral hit like they went on like the ellen show did it live they secured a record deal after that with Columbia Records. Um, and I think they're just like pioneers with like the whole viral virility of things. I don't even know if that's a word, but I feel like, it, you know, like they, they said it started with um, them and their iPhone taped right. to hockey, hockey sticks. And, and now look at them go, you know, and, sure. and they've got, yeah, they've got thousands, like just, I think they've got like millions of uh, subscribers on YouTube. So shout outs to them. And the uh, lead singer, Sarah Blackwood, um, and, you know, segue there was, I guess that was Jeff Blackwood's uh, reason for calling this song because same last name there. But uh, she was talking about keeping it humble in one of one of her interviews. So, uh, you know, humble and hungry. So it's there it is. Circle. It's all connected here. It's all yes. connected. Anyways, yeah. we could go on for days about the cover tracks, and really, I kind of want to give it more of a credit, but we are so short on time, and we want to make sure that we give our featured artist a proper time to talk about her track a little bit. So we want to give some love to Madison Music out there. I guess we just call it Madison. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, um, she, she gave us a song to listen to named Fiction. Yes. Um, and it's a beautiful song. Guys, Fiction on YouTube, check it out. What were your first impressions of the track? Just like a very, like, I know I know um, she was talking about revisiting trip hop when she created this song. It reminded me a bit of like some more Chiba. I don't know if my old school heads re remember more Chiba. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, you know, with uh, that little retro vibe. And yeah, like like we were talking about off air, just she's just very raw, vulnerable with her, her lyrics. She just released um, an album, Self Reflections, just a week ago, which is getting tons of spins. Um, she's getting blog Ooh. placements and yeah, I'm, I'm really jacked for her. I know like her career is going to go, is going to take off. And I think, um, she's inspired, but you can hear it in her, her, her voice. It's really natural. And she's inspired. Like she, she told us by like mountains and, um, water and Amy Winehouse. So there, there you go. That, that's not my <laughs> the, thoughts. The big three mountains, water and Amy Winehouse. That's the <laughs> kind of uh, well, what I thought about this, I thought that there were very thoughtful lyrics. I know, like, it's very personal. Like, there's one line where she's talking about crying in her oatmeal. And I know she's got to be talking about experience here. She's talking about experience. She's not just pulling out there because that rhymes, you know. Like, this is something that she actually went through. And she's an authentic experience that she put into her music. I thought that later in the, in the track, she has some actually clever rhyming schemes. Uh, so I, I'm kind of meticulous, and I try to pay attention to things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. To your point, V, it is a very personal song. 
And I was immediately impressed by her control over her own voice. I think that she has, uh, you know, great control over her voice, the ways that she can kind of carry herself over the flow of the beat. Uh, I am really curious to see how deep her range is. Like, how high can she go? How low can she go? And the fluidity between that. So I am interested in checking out more of her work and to see if she ever, like, explores that aspect. Because she really is sort of a natural uh, vocalist when you when you think about it there. Uh, and it was pretty. It's a pretty seamlessly put-together song. Uh, it is a little bit haunting, a little bit like that, too, uh, personal. But I, I was feeling it, though. I was very impressed. Uh, What's the name of the album again? Sorry, Via, I missed that. No worries, Self Reflections. So it's, I think it's on all streaming platforms. But if you go to at Madison Music um, on Instagram, which is the platform everyone's using these days, you'll be able to get it. And shout out to Oatmeal. I love Oatmeal. No one should be crying in their oatmeal. No one should be cry, putting their face down crying in their oatmeal. I had a, a great bowl today, so I, I have to shout that out too. Share that out there. Yeah, yeah. so I'm looking forward to seeing what else she's got in her catalog there. And I know she's a supporter of the, the humble and hungry hungry family there. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing more of her work in the future. How are we yeah. doing, Andy? How are we doing? I, I think we're winding down, and but like one, one of her goals, and maybe she needs to contact Byron at the end of it. She wants to get... You know, some placements on TV and film. And, you know, I could see that with this song especially. And um, oh, yeah. one of her other goals, put out an album. She did that. So shout outs, Madison. Thank yeah, you for, for you, this Madison. Accomplishing yeah. goals there, right? And it's always yeah. nice to put something off the list, especially in a year like this where everything's working against you. So congratulations on dropping that. Uh, definitely check out her music, Madison Music there. You can see it on screen. And we're looking forward to pumping some more of your stuff in the future. Uh, yeah. But V, let's wind this down. This was a jam-packed episode, so this is an extra long, extra long episode of content for you guys. Uh, we are looking forward to next week's show, I believe. Can we give the uh, the idea? Can we drop what it is? Yeah, go for it. I know it's your idea, so it's all on you. All right. So next week, the episode is going to be about the songs of the summer. What are your favorite songs of the summer? Stay tuned. We're going to have a question of the week for you, and be pushing this throughout the week. Uh, but that's all the time we got for today, V. <laughs> We've got a Raptors game to check out a little bit later on. There's the sun's still out, still a lot Champions, of day left. Champions, yeah. There you go, baby. Yeah, let's go. And uh, thanks again uh, to Byron for joining us. Again, thanks this show is dedicated to Jody, our team member, who's going through some really rough times. So we love you. Uh, be strong. And yeah, shout out to Madison. And yeah, enjoy your sunny Sunday. And we'll, we'll catch you all soon. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Peace. Peace.